Tonight is August 9th, 2017. The title of tonight's uh, message is Mirage. Mirage. A mirage is an optical phenomenon, especially in the desert or at sea, by which the image of some object appears displaced. Everybody say displaced. Displaced. Above, well, that's not everybody. Are y'all, are y'all with me tonight? Yes. I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's just the room. I'm just going to go ahead and blame it on me. That way, if you're here, you won't feel like I'm, I'm attacking you. We feel just a little bit out of sorts tonight. We just feel just a little bit, a little bit off with what's going on. Monday night, I heard us and we had, uh, as prophecies were coming forth, as God was directing us and challenging us and correcting us in a lot of different ways collectively, what I noticed was that we were, we were kind of slow in responding to these things. The Lord would speak and it would take another two, three, four times for us to kind of get what's going on. Uh, w- would you help me tonight? I'm not here to fuss at you. I'm here, uh, well, I'm not here to fuss at you unless you need it. Then it'd be a gift from God that, that you get corrected. My heart tonight is that we respond to what the Lord is doing. I think that the Lord has given me something that will hit and will pierce our hearts. I think that what the Lord has done is given me the right word in due season for this group of people. So uh, I need you to push through whatever's going on in your mind, whatever's going on in your heart, whatever difficulties are there. And we need to go ahead and press on into what the Lord has for us. Amen? Amen. Because what we definitely don't want is an opportunity for the Lord to speak to us and us not respond. And those words that are supposed to be life to us actually act as judgment against us. That's not what I'm looking for here tonight. I want us to move with what the Lord has. A mirage is an optical phenomenon by which the image of some object appears displaced. Everybody say displaced. Displaced. Above, below, or to the one side of its true position. Everybody say true position. position. So what are you saying? You're saying that you're seeing something not aligned the way that it's supposed to be. The mirage, all the old movies where guys are crawling across the desert and they look up and what they see, they see a mirage. They see something that's there, but it looks like something else. If you've ever driven far too long and far too late into the night, you can start having some mirages as you're driving, right? That's, a bad, that's bad news when you get there. If you've ever been with us to Mexico and we're leaving at midnight and we're driving all through the night, then there are some mirages for those of us who are driving sometimes. But what we're looking at is it's not something, a mirage is something that's illusion. It's an illusion. It's without substance or reality what's there. I want to encourage us tonight. Some of us have been looking at mirages. The Lord is being gracious to us by saying, Hey, hey, I want you to pay attention. I want to get your attention so that you will see rightly. The word that came forth tonight was out of Revelation 3.18. The Lord showed me that He wanted to add salve. I never can say that word correctly. Salve. Like with no L in it. It's a salve, but there's an L in it, so it freaks me out. Right? He's going to put ointment on your eyeballs. If I can't get it right, well then y'all just got to, y'all know I can't get half the stuff right anyway. He's going to put salve on your eyes. In other words, we're trying to look at something. I don't think this is a lack of effort on our part, but there's some some things that aren't working correctly in what we're seeing. And I believe that the Lord through the word, and as we get back into worship in just a few minutes, in just a little while, is going to help us so that we can see rightly. Don't you want to see rightly? I mean, none of us in this room want to be deceived. You don't want to go through life thinking that you're seeing one thing and putting your hope in something that you think is there and it's not even there. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 and say there when you are there. We have to see rightly with what God is doing. I believe that Monday night was designed to help us see rightly. 
I believe that Monday night we were expecting it to be more about the turkey team and it ended up being more about us. Well, praise God. This is what happens when you let him be in control because he doesn't always fit in our nice little tidy box that we want to keep him in. So, amen. How many of you heard a good word on Monday night? How many of you were challenged by one of the words that went on Monday night? We, we all, you all should have been. We all should have been. Because there were some specific things that should have responded and resonated within all of us, as well as individual words that the Lord gave. So 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Wow. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Praise God for contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I think the Lord is challenging this. I know these are simple scriptures. You've been quoting them since you were a child. You've been quoting them for a long, long time now. But the truth is, I think that the Lord is challenging us as a church right now on whether we're going to have godliness and contentment and allow that to be great gain. Or if we're going to continue to look for things with eyes that need salve, and we're going to continue to look for things, something else for us to be happy with what our life is. Something else that we will judge and measure our success by other than godliness and contentment. If we have more than, if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. Nothing else is needed besides this. Verse 9, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin. Plunge. What, what great words, right? The Word of God is so rich. They plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We had a chance to hang out a little bit with Jerome and Gloria today. By the way, if, if you don't get a chance to do that while they're here, you are missing out, man. We were talking about some Indian, some, some festivals that take place in India. While we were there, we actually saw people, uh, a vehicle was there, a, a pickup truck, and it had a, a beam that was stuck out about 10 feet in front of the vehicle. It's going forward and the beam is sticking out further. They had a man that was suspended by hooks through his skin in his body, kind of in a Superman kind of pose. That they were, they were pierced. He was pierced throughout. And this was a, an attempt to worship their gods. One of the many gods that this guy was worshiping. And it was demonic to the core. Man, you could, we, when we saw it, actually by the time that I saw it, we were driving in a vehicle. And the guy was like as close as from me to Justin. And I got to look at his eyes as he was Superman flying towards me, hooked like this. Looked at my kids in the car. Looked at my wife. Looked at the Hefners from the Horizon Church and said... God, that's one of the most demonic things that I've seen in a long time. Literally pierced. Pierced with grief because of this, this love of something else other than what God has. Turn, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Ooh, somebody was super fast there. Love it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And God is able to make all grace. Everybody say all grace. all grace. All grace abound to you so that in all things. Everybody say all things. All things. At all times. Everybody say all times. All times. Having all that you need. Do you, you think God's trying to get at something here? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound 
in every good work. That phrase for having all that you need is the same word for content in 1 Timothy 6.6. Godliness with contentment, with the understanding that He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. That kind of contentment here is seen in the phrase, having all that you need. Come on, somebody look at your neighbor and say, I got all that I need. Turn to the other person that you didn't want to talk to, that you didn't want to acknowledge, tell them, I got all that I need. Because if you don't walk around with an understanding that you have all that you need by God, you know what happens? Is we start looking at Christianity as a means to an end. As a means to an end. Well, why, why are you reading the Bible? Well, because, um, because it's, uh, I, I love reading the Word of God. Oh, amen, this is about you then. Uh, no, I mean, I love coming together because of the fellowship. Amen. Praise God, that's a good thing. But that can't be the reason that you serve God. Because then it's just a means to your end. I actually have a, an article that I'd like to just read to you a part of it. And it is from a local uh, minister's wife here in town. I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. She said from the pulpit. We're doing it for yourself. Because God takes pleasure when we are happy. That's the thing that gives Him the greatest joy this morning. Just do good for your own self. <laughs> the phrase from the P-Rose comes into mind. You love your own self. Right? Do good because God wants you to be happy. She added, when you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Wow. What we've become in, in, in our day and time is a group of Christian humanists. Humanists, uh, they have secu secular humanism that says, really, we are the answer, we are the center of the universe, that everything should revolve around us. And secular humanism says, we're so much to the point that we don't even need a God. Why would you need God? Because you're the center. You're a humanist. You're, you're looking at the humanity of what's going on, and you're saying, that's the answer. Well, that's easy enough for us to, to, to push against. The Christian church around us is saying, yeah, we're really just Christian humanists. We're saying, really, it's about, I mean, what, what are you going to get at? The chief end of man? What are we trying to do here? Well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna live our lives for Him. Man, come to the altars tonight, guys. You know why? Because we don't want you to go to hell. Oh, so this is about what I'm going to get? What if we had to serve God and we had nothing else that He would ever do for you save what He's already done for you? Would you serve Him with all the fervency that you had? Would you live and die for Him? If nothing else, if no day ever went your direction, if no, uh, if no sunbeams ever hit your face again, if there was no provision that ever came your way again, would you serve Him? Because that's what we're trying to do tonight, is build a group of people who say, I will serve Him, I will live for Him, I will die for Him, if nothing else ever happens. Amen. I am moved in my soul by this principle tonight. Christianity for you, your relationship with God, cannot be a means to some kind of pleasant end for you. Well, I'll suffer now, because one day I'll be with Him in glory. If he allows me in, that's yet another act of his grace and his mercy. 
I don't want to be a man who serves God because I get anything from it. I want to serve him because he's worthy. Because he is the one who hung the sun and the moon and the stars. And he is righteous beyond all belief. And he deserves it even if he sends me to hell. He is worth it. He is worth it. It cannot be, we cannot serve God as a means to an end. This correlates with our sermon from Sunday because if we're doing that, perhaps we're working a system, but we just don't realize we're trying to work in a kind of a system instead of a way of life that God has provided for us. You cannot serve God as a means to an end. You cannot get in your word because it makes you something or other. You cannot come and try to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because you want the gifts to be operating in your life so people can think you're great. Now, there are people who that happened to in the book of Acts. Sorcerer says, hey, can I buy that? What happened to him? Yeah, may your money perish with you. Perhaps the Lord will forgive you from these things. It's not man, all you have to do is repent. He's going to forgive you. The apostle Paul goes, yeah, perhaps the Lord will let you off the hook from that. How are you doing today? Have you made your walk with the Lord a means to an end? Or is it the end itself? Are, Are you following me? Are you with me tonight? Your walk with the Lord cannot be a means to an end. You've got to serve Him because He's glorious and He's worth it. And the, and the Lamb should indeed receive the reward for His suffering. And we're going to be able to bring that to Him and give Him that. How would you serve God if nothing else good ever happened to you? These are easy questions for me to ask. They're easy questions for you to formulate in a response to very quickly. This is one of those times where I'm a little bit glad that you're silent because I hope that you're actually thinking about it and making an evaluation in your heart. Oh, pastor, we would do that. I'd serve him if he never did anything good. Really? Because you fall apart if God makes you wait more than five minutes after you think it ought to happen. You start getting mad at God. You You either start getting mad at God because you're not where you ought to be or you start crumbling. Well, we start getting shaky. The second that it doesn't happen in the way that we thought because we were doing a means to an end and it doesn't progress the way that we think it ought to, so our knees start knocking. Well, maybe the Lord is mad at me. Maybe, yeah, how about you? He, He just doesn't have to respond to you as quickly as you think he ought to. How about you allow him to work things out in you that way? Turn to James chapter 4. This is all just an introduction. We'll get to it in a second. James chapter 4. Verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Uh, So let's go back and take this again. Come on, husbands, wives. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Come on, brothers and sisters in the kingdom. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Isn't the problem within you? And you get a bunch of people with problems within them and they start going at it. Well, that's, that's exactly what the Word of God says. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You can't have what you want. Huh. 
That's not our problem, right, as, as, as adults, right? That's a childish thing. No, that's all of our problems. You don't get what you want. You don't get what, when, you, when you want it. So we just have adult kind of tamp- temper tantrums that we throw. doesn't look quite like the two-year-old that starts holding their breath, kicking and screaming on the floor. But it's not that far from it, if we, are, if we want to be honest with ourselves. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. You have some type of mirage that's going on in your life, and you can't see clearly. You think you're asking okay. Then you get upset with God, but the truth is, is you have wrong motives in the asking. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people. By the way, who's the book of James written to? Say, okay, who wrote the book of James? Good, good. Y'all are smart, man. It's, it's James. It's right. You can look in verse 1, chapter 1 and verse 1 and see exactly who he wrote it to. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So he's writing this to what we would call believers. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Don't we always want to make that between believers and non-believers? I always do. The way I read it when I was growing up. Since you're not answering tonight, I'll just answer myself. It's okay. I'm going to have a good time. You adulterous people always made that about unbelievers. Oh, and being, being a friend with the world is being an enemy with God. No, he's talking to us. The things in our heart that we still desire worldly things. We still desire possessions. We still desire gratitude. We still desire someone to come and pat us on the back and tell us that we're doing good. We still desire these things. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. If you're choosing to do this, it's bad enough when it happens and we don't realize it. The Lord has to show it to us and we get our hearts right. When you're choosing to do it, you've decided that you want to be an enemy of God. And then on and on it goes about Lord giving grace to those who will actually humble themselves. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. We're going to make this a basis of operations tonight. A central figure in what we do so that we can walk away with something that the Lord has for us. Numbers chapter 20. Let's start in verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. So we're going to be talking about Moses tonight, but... The chapter starts off with his sister dying and being buried. Little secret here, little hint. At the end of this chapter, in chapter 20, Aaron dies and is buried. So in chapter 20, at the beginning of it, you get Miriam, Moses' sister, that dies. At the end, you get Aaron, Moses' brother, that dies. So this chapter is bookended with death in his immediate family, those who had been leading with him, those who were of the generation of those who were going to have to pass on because of because of what goes on, because of the sin of God's people. Verse 2. Now there was no water. Everybody say no water. water. For the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. We've talked about it a lot around here lately, haven't we? It's amazing how people will gather in opposition to something. You can't get people to unify around anything good, but we we can get around what we don't like. The idea that Pilate and Herod became historically became good friends after they joined together to kill Christ. 
They were, they hated each other. They loathed each other for the longest time. And when they gathered around killing Christ, then they became friends. If, you're, if we're dealing, our brothers are, are in Turkey right now. The Shia and the Sunnis cannot agree on anything. Not agree on anything except that they want to kill Christians and they want to kill Jews. That's what we can agree upon in, these, in, these, in this religion of Islam. Can't agree on anything else, but they'll gather in opposition. That's exactly what God's people are doing here. Let's be careful what we're gathering around. Be careful that we don't gather in opposition to what's going on. Uh, they, they call some of these things the herd mentality. Uh, I went to drop off my daughter at the airport the other day. And we were in line waiting. Uh, and I was actually trying... <laughs> it's the first time I've ever let my princess go anywhere on a plane by herself. So I was a little nervous as a dad. I was like, okay... Lord, this has got to be, I think this is you. I think you told me that this is okay. And we're there, and the flight gets canceled. Not delayed. No more flight. And I was like, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn around and go back home. This is your voice clearly to me. Dad's already nervous. This means I'm out of here. Like, give me just a second. Let me pray. Uh, okay, Lord, I still think I'm following your will here. I don't like this. Lord, I'm telling you, I don't like this. Okay, well, we've got to now go get in line because the little kiosk thing doesn't work. Opposition, man, I'm like, I'm ready to bolt. And we get in line, and it's basically a line like this, and it snakes around and goes like this. 45 minutes later, we had made it to the halfway point. Amen. I'm praying the whole time. We're there. This young lady, I think she lived, uh, I think she was from Aruba. She came there, and she passes out. Passes out through the little tensor barrier things onto people's luggage. And everybody, we're in a group of, I don't know, there's, there's 30 people that are within an arm's length of the girl. 30 people. They all just stand there and look at her. Move! <laughs> I start, get out of the way. I push people over and I start, and I start helping the, the young lady out. Right? This is what Christians do. This is not anything special for me. But we engage in what's going on. The herd mentality, they literally all just sat there and looked. They were just watching. I'm like, y'all better be lucky this is not my daughter. Because after I took care of my daughter, I'd bust all y'all up. She's a, she was a 20-something young girl uh, traveling all by herself. She was on a suitcase. And I was like, you know, I probably should put her head flat on the ground because this dodo bird is, is probably going to move that suitcase. And as I reach for her head, the dodo bird moves the suitcase and I catch her head. I was like, gently lay her head on the ground. Miss, can I help you? Miss, ma'am, we need to, we, you need to wake up. Start, did the whole thing. People were like, oh, she related to you? No. She looked like me? She's thin and tall and pretty. That is not, that's not me. People will gather around opposition to something. If we started chanting something negative, we could have gotten a crowd. When you actually, it's time to help somebody, we get the herd mentality. Everybody's like, Ugh. These people are gathering in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They're letting their, they're letting their anger arise. They have this, 
this group mentality that is starting to become negative. Look at verse 3. They quarreled with Moses. Everybody say quarreled. And said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. (laughs) Now wait a minute. They're lacking water, right? They're out of water. They're out in the desert. I'm sure it's hot. I'm sure that they need the Lord to move on their behalf. What are they crying out for? They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. They're calling out to God to kill them. If only we had died before, then we wouldn't have to go through this struggle now. You bunch of dramatic pansies. What are you doing? It's, it's kind of funny when we're thinking about it for them, though, right? Yeah, but what about us? When we start crying out for all... I can't believe. It was easier for me when I lived in the world. Really? Um, Joy, on the screen, can you put up Exodus 16.3? Just, just stay where you are in your Bible so we can keep reading in Numbers 16.3. says this, Then the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. You're hearing the constant echo here? Uh, I can show you another four or five verses where they say the same kind of thing. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I'm starving to death. Really? What was that four-year-old? I couldn't quite, couldn't quite hear you over the whining. I'm going to die. Shush it. When you're in opposition, when opposition is coming against you, when you're in a struggle, you know what we do? The mirage is, is you start remembering your past differently than what it really was. This is Exodus 16. They got taken out in Exodus 12 and 13 and 14 is when they left. By Exodus 16, we're talking like a month later. In, in just a few weeks later, they're going, yeah, man, back there, we just sat around pots, pots of food. We were just, oh, we had all the food we wanted. Um, you were working seven days a week as slaves. They took away your straw and kept the quota the same, so you had to go get the straw, then make the bricks, then assemble the bricks. Where were the, the big pots of meat that you were just sitting around eating? But this is... These are the demonic things that start influencing our thoughts. Well, back then, it was easier. It was easier when I didn't have to worry about being holy. It was easier back there somehow. What are you talking about? This is the enemy that gets in and gives us mirages of when we look back and go, boy, it sure was, boy, that was kind of nice. I mean, I know I was living in sin and all, but uh, really, don't think about your past, especially without God. And remember pots of meat that you were sitting around because it's a demonic attack against you. It's a mirage. It is something that is trying to deceive you so that you think you ought to be somewhere else at some other point instead of the God who gives us all grace so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, He will provide for you. God, what a, what a demonic thing for someone to think. <laughs> we just sat around pots of meat. That's all we did. I mean, forget the fact that we were slaves and had nothing that we can do on our own, and we were told everything about our lives, and we hated it, and we cried out to the Lord, and He heard us and delivered us. Yeah, but forget all that part, because we had meat. Come on now. Really? What's your pot of meat tonight? What's your pot of meat that you think was, was easier? Oh, pastor, I don't, I don't long for the things of the world like that. Oh, amen. Well, what's your pot of meat then? What do you sit around and in your heart, you'd be like, man, if, if th- this was... Oh, this was so much easier. Or, or this is all I need. All I need is a pot of meat and I'll be fine. Really? Back to Numbers chapter 20 and verse 3. 
If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Hey, by the way, who are they talking about? Who are they talking about? This is Numbers chapter 20. If only we had been like our brothers who had fallen dead. Wait a minute. I actually looked at Pastor Matt this afternoon and I was like, hold up. I, I can't tell you how many times I've read number 20 and I never asked this question. Who are they talking about? I quickly glanced over and was like, oh yeah, well they're just those darn people thinking the way they are. Yeah, who? Really? What? Hold your place in Numbers 20. Turn with me to Numbers 11. I'm going to give you a couple of options here. Numbers 11 and verse 1. Pastor Matt was there. That's good. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of those on the outskirts of the camp. The people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. You know what the words there are for this? In the hearing of the Lord? It's the words for evil ear. Everybody say an evil ear. Evil ear. Okay, so the Hebrew language is so rich in, in, uh, in content, in picturesque form, that you guys know the phrase ayin tovah? Okay, you have a good eye. What does that mean? That, that means you're, you're having the right will of God in your life. The, the idea of an evil ear is that you are being disobedient to the Lord. The words literally there are, now the people complained about their hardships with a bad ear. And when he heard this, his anger was aroused. You know what the anger aroused? The two words are? A flared nostril. Just just go with me here for a second. Just, Just stay with me. So their bad ear caused the Lord to flare his nostrils in anger at them. He got incredibly mad, mad enough that he started judging those and burned them with a fire on the outskirts of camp. Do you have a bad ear tonight? Because I talk music for so long, there are some times that I don't always hear everything I'm supposed to hear. There's a lot of background noise. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm having to really, really focus in. I have to pay attention. I can lose some of the clarity in what you say sometimes. If I ask you, it's not because I'm not paying attention. I may not be able to hear you. What are you listening to? You listening to voices that you shouldn't listen to? Better yet, do you have voices? <laughs> are those voices that you shouldn't be listening to coming from your own heart? coming from your own ears, coming from your own, from your own spirit, these things that get in there and pollute who we are. Here, apparently, they were complaining about their hardships. Are you complaining about your hardships today? Apparently, got, uh, God got pretty angry at them. Maybe these are the people that in Numbers 20 they're referencing. How about let's turn to Numbers Chapter, uh, while we're in 11, let's go to verse 33. <clears throat> this is the quail, right? God sent quail. They were complaining because they didn't have the right food. So that starts off the chapter. We're not even done with the chapter yet. Uh, my son and I tried to figure out how much quail this would be one time. We tried to guess at the size of a, what an average quail would be. 
they said that you can take multiple day journey in any direction. A wind, let's look at verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground. As far as a day's walk in any direction. Three feet. As far as you can walk. So let's start a center point. As far as you can walk. I think we figured it out conservatively. That was... We said if you can go three miles an hour and you're going to walk for only eight hours, it's 24 miles. So we rounded it down to 20 miles in a giant radius, a 20-mile radius. So 40 miles from that part to this part, or that part to this part, three feet deep of quail. Somebody say, that's a lot of quail. I can't remember exactly what Gabe and I figured out, but we were talking like in the billions Quail stacked that high. We're like, <laughs> this is my son and I working on math that day. <laughs> Circumference would be this, and we'd do a pi times. You know, we were trying to figure it out. Some astronomically ridiculous amount. Keep going on the next verse, 32. Uh, I'm sorry, I've got to find it now. All that day and all that night and the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 omers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, <laughs> and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and He struck them with a severe plague. Why? Because He was giving them food every day, and that wasn't enough for them. Well, we don't have meat. We only have manna. Yeah, the stuff that you don't even have to produce, you just roll out of your tent and pick up what you need. Yeah, that stuff that God is just making easily available to you, that's not good enough for you? I'll send you quail. I'll send you quail until it's coming out your nose. <laughs> I love this. While the meat was still between their teeth. The anger of the Lord burned against them and He struck them with a severe plague. Maybe these are the people that Numbers 20 is talking about. How about Numbers 14? Let's look at verse 36. Numbers 14, 36, it says this. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Who's that? It's the ten spies. Wow, these were leaders of each of the tribes that were sent. Because they led the people into grumbling and complaining, they were struck down. Of the men that went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. Maybe our friends in Numbers chapter 20 are referencing the ten spies. Number 16. Number 16 has so much incredible... This is Korah's rebellion. Everybody say Korah. Korah. It was Dathan and Abiram that were also there. But this is somehow put in Korah's lap. Right? Let's go to verse 31. It says this, As soon as he had finished saying this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions. 
They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. Um, the problem is, is perhaps it was more than just Korah and the men and their families that had a problem with this. This is when the men with the 250 censers that God was showing who his favor rested upon. The earth is going to swallow us too. Maybe what they saw in Korah was something that they could recognize. Maybe they realized they were just as guilty as Korah and his men. Verse 35, fire came from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. This is incredible. They took the censers and then made it part of the bronze altar. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 20. Just a few pages over now. They quarreled with Moses and said, verse 3, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. <laughs> what are they calling for? What were all that? Let's, any one of those. Let's just say any one of them would have been what they were thinking about. They're calling for the people who were complaining against the Lord God Almighty. And they were saying, yeah, maybe we, it would have been better that we died like those guys. Wow, what wicked hearts. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Uh, does anybody see a problem with that statement? Why did you bring? Hey, Moses, you brought us out here in the desert. Yeah, pay no attention to the sin that they had committed that caused them to be led out in the desert. Now this is Moses' fault. Moses, you led us out here. Why did you lead us out here into this community, this community into the desert, that we and our livestock should die here? Are they worried about their livestock at this moment? You think? It's what we call a red herring, my friends. People complaining about things, and then as they're thinking about it, you kind of add some stuff to it so it doesn't sound quite as silly as what you just said. It actually has a little bit more merit than really what you've actually blamed things on. I've done that before. And I've said something, and after it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. Jeez, that's the reason that I'm giving? Uh, let me add something else to it so it sounds more reasonable. Yeah, their hearts were already seen. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? Oh, there it is. We don't like where God put us. Man, I don't like that. This, I don't like this place. Well, it'll come out of your mouth eventually because out, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. Why, do you bring, why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or no figs or grapevines or pomegranates. Um, is there supposed to be all those things out in the desert? It, wasn't it their sin that caused these things not to be apparent in their life? And then what did they tack on there? What was supposed to be the reason that they were complaining to begin with? Oh yeah, and, and, and there's no water. Really? It's amazing as pastors we start talking to people and what you hear is you think it's about one thing and if you just let people talk long enough, if you just ask the right questions and just get them talking, you know what happens sometimes? Like, you find out how many things that they actually aren't happy with. While we're at it, I'm, I'm this and, and when there's no figs and there's no pomegranates and, and this is taking too long at this church and I don't understand you people and, and, and my life isn't as smooth as, smooth as I thought it'd be and, and this is hard and, and I wish it was easier and, and oh yeah, we don't have any water to drink. Water, right, that's the problem. Right, we've bubbled up all these things and like, pastor, it's just about the water. Yeah, okay. Okay, we'll, we'll go with that one. 
Or perhaps it's our true heart that's being seen. What is your, what is the true, what is your true heart showing? The, the truth of your heart. What are your words telling us about where you really are? Verse 6, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. Everybody say, fell face down. Come on, man. What happens when you realize there's a disgruntled spirit within you? What happens when you realize that things are tougher than you thought they should be? What happens when it's taking longer than you thought it should? What happens when there's more to complain about than you have time to complain about it? You know what you should be doing? You should be doing like Moses and Aaron and going to the very presence of God and falling on your face. Taking who you are and burying it at at his feet. Isn't that what God's been telling us Monday night? Isn't that what God was saying to us? Hey, those of you who keep adding to what I'm saying, stop doing it. Fall on your face before the Lord so he can fix the things that you've been pursuing that you weren't supposed to be pursuing. Let me fix the things that you've been saying, that you've been worried about, the mirage of success that's out there somewhere that you haven't yet gotten your hands upon. Let me fix those things because you've added to my words and it's created a mirage in your life. You can be as quiet as you want. This is a right word for us tonight. They fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. What happens when you fall face down before him? He responds to you. He, we cry out to the Lord. He is near to those who are brokenhearted. If you're brokenhearted in here tonight, fall face down before Him. His glory will appear to you. His very presence, the weightiness of His presence will come to you and He can revive your, your broken soul. The Lord is near to those who are broken. He is near to the contrite. He is near to the humble. He is far from the proud and near to the humble. And yet we still have a hard time being humble, don't we? Golly. Fall on your face before the Lord tonight. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, uh, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock. Everybody say, Speak to that rock. Before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. This is incredible. I want you to go talk to a rock. Y'all remember the pet rock thing that we did a couple months ago? 1970s, it was a craze. They sold a couple of million pet rocks. Pet rocks, they sold it in a box with air holes in it. Brilliant marketing, right? Like a rock needs air holes. They had a care, they had an instruction manual. It was a 32 page instruction manual on how to care for your rock. Tricks that you could teach your pet rock. It excels in in tricks like stay. (laughs) Shake has a little bit more problems, right? I mean, this is so cheeky. They sold men, the guy became a millionaire because he sold pet rocks. The Lord is saying to Moses and Aaron, look, I want you to speak to the rock. Before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. Amen. Verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as, he, just as God had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them. Who is he supposed to be speaking to? Who is he supposed to be speaking to? Who did he speak to? 
the people. You know what happens when we don't speak to the rock, but we speak to people instead of speaking to the rock? You know how you can define gossip? How I define gossip is if I'm speaking to someone that has no power, authority, or ability to be able to correct what I'm talking to them about. If you can't fix what I'm talking to you about, then you and I are just having a nice little session of gossip. If you have an authority and you can actually possibly fix this, I might still be gossiping, but at least have a better shot of not gossiping. Um, Joy, can you put up Proverbs 26, 22? The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's innermost parts. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I'm afraid that when I come to you, I may not find you as I want you to be. Everybody say, want you to be. You may not find me as you want me to be. This is about somebody who's about to come and bring correction to the church. Like, uh, you may not be the way I want you, and I may not be the way that you want me, because I have to be coming with a firmness, with an authority that comes from the heaven. By the way, while I'm at it, especially to some of you men in here, you are not operating in the right level of authority in your home, in your life, where you are. You are worried about stepping on people's toes instead of having the right kind of authority that you stand up and lead with enough strength. It may cause somebody to say this, we're not finding you the way that we want to find you, but a right authority will put things around you in the right order. You will have the right shalom in your life, in your business, in your job, wherever you are. I'm telling you this. Some of the men in this room are not operating in the right level of authority. And you need to increase. You need to increase what you're doing. Being a nice guy is not a gift of the Spirit. Being a courteous speaker, not a gift of the Spirit. And you guys know me and my life, and I'm not intentionally out to offend anyone. But if I'm not willing to walk in the authority that I have, then I'm failing you. I'm bringing down a standard of the Lord, and it, cause, it always causes carnage around, even though we think we're being nice for the moment. Back to verse 20. You may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Can you guys look at that uh, list there for a second, the second half of the screen? How many of those are really just about our words and about our heart reflecting our words? Our words reflecting our heart, rather. Quarreling. What causes quarreling among you? Isn't it the, the evil desires that you have in your own heart? Isn't that what causes it? Jealousy. I don't like what you have. I want what you have. Outburst of anger. The spirit of anger came upon me. Ain't no spirit of anger. That was you. <laughs> Quit blaming it on something because now I'm out of control. It's the spirit of anger. Galatians 5 says that that's a work of the flesh. How can, I, how can I pray that your flesh be removed? You just have to crucify that. Come on, let's be real, people. We get all these fluffy thoughts in our head. Pray for my pastor. It's a spirit of anger. Turn to Galatians 5. That's going to be my answer for you every single time. Turn to Galatians 5, read it right there. Start in verse 19 and just start reading. Outbursts of anger, factions. 
Do you have people in the church that you like more than other people? Are there people that you congregate to more than other people? Are you creating factions and don't even know it? Why do we gravitate towards certain people? It may be because we have similar spirits about us. If, you see, if I look at somebody, if I see Ella, Ella's my friend, I love Ella. If I see Ella and she's gravitating towards the most godly people in the room, you know what I think? She's on the right track. If I see Ella and she's, gra- she's gravitating towards the weakest, the most broken, the most troubled, the most ungodly amongst us, I know what she is as well. Be careful. We have enough people here that you can gravitate towards, that you can find Christ. You can get pulled up to any level that you want to be in this church. We're not going to keep you out of a circle. We're not going to keep you out of a a sphere, a group. You are welcome in any group that we have in this church. You're welcome in my house. You're welcome in Pastor Matt's house. You're welcome anywhere we are because we just live our lives open because this is the way of life. So if you don't like the group you're in, oh, wait. Maybe you do like the group you're in and that's the problem. Pastor, this is for Wednesday night. Yeah, this is where we need. This is what we need, my friends. Scripture back up on the screen. Factions. Slander. Huh. What's the difference between slander and gossip? Slander, you're intentionally trying to hurt those who are around you. You're intentionally trying to hurt your leaders. You're intentionally trying to do whatever to undercut people as much as you can. Gossip, you got stuff going on that isn't your business, but you're... You're dabbling in that. Arrogance and disorder. Wow. Uh, Let's not be guilty of any of these things in this church. I feel like a father right now that's just spanking some of you. And I would say that this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. But it's not true. (laughs) It, It should hurt. Back to Numbers chapter 20. We'll wrap it up. Verse 9. So Moses took the staff from Aaron's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? We always get in trouble speaking to people when we should be speaking to Christ. We always get in trouble. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice. The full witness of what he wanted to do with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. You know what I want you to take from this verse? Even if things work out the way they should, doesn't mean that you did it right. Just because it worked out Just because God's grace and His mercy were upon you and it worked out in spite of you, that is not a validation of how you just did it. Well, we made the wrong kind of decision. Our home was all out of order. The kids really kind of made the decision. It worked out. Hey, everything's good. No. God did this because the people needed water. It was a true and actual need. And so He provided because He's good. If you go around striking the rock when he tells you to speak to it, it is going to cause you consequences. We're going to read the consequence here in a minute. But let's, let's be real, folks. 
Now, you can preach this. If you're, if you're going to prison this weekend and you want to preach this, it's easy to preach Numbers 20. The first time Moses got to this point, he struck the rock. Man, first time you get to Jesus Christ, there was a, a piercing that he had. He died on a cross for us. But you know what you don't get to do again? You don't get to strike him again. You've just got to call to him. You've got to speak to him, and he can come in and will give you the living water. I mean, you can preach this all day long. This is an easy passage to preach. But you know what I'm not trying to do tonight is preach that. I'm trying to say, um, don't let it vindicate your actions. If you're not doing it the correct way, I promise you, because I love you, I've got to tell you these things so that you do them rightly. Stop what you're doing. Stop striking at a rock to God saying, just speak to it. What are you doing? Be obedient to what I've asked. You know why? Because your measure of success is not the way things work out. Your measure of success is what God tells you to do. Period. Does everybody believe that? Seems simple, doesn't it? Seems so simple. So not simple. We understand it conceptually. All that I should measure myself in is by me being obedient. What if you're like Isaiah? We read it Monday night, Isaiah 6. I want you to go and talk to these people. Yeah, and they're not going to listen to you. What if you're like Jeremiah? And Jeremiah preaches and uh, prophesies the exact words of the Lord, gets thrown in stocks, gets thrown in a pit. What if you're like Ezekiel, where God has to make you more hard-headed than the people that you're trying to minister to? Because they're not going to listen to you. Wait, I'm sensing a theme here. It's almost like more often than not, the true, real, actual men of God have tasks that people don't like. And people will not respond. What if you're Jesus? You want to calculate Jesus' success rate? Three years. How many converts? Uh, He got 12. (laughs) How how do you want to calculate your, your, your response? How do you want to calculate your success in this world? You're going to calculate about how much you can control? You're going to calculate about how comfortable you feel? Or are you going to calculate your success? Or are you going to determine your success by exactly what the Lord has said to you? Look here in verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. You know what happens when we don't mark ourselves by the truth of God's reality? You know what happens when we allow a mirage in our life to determine whether we're successful or not? Are you measuring your your success in your life against a mirage? We are making the Lord unholy in the sight of people around us. We're not holding and honoring Him as holy in the sight of the Israelites. You will not bring this community into the land that I gave them. Um... first time I remember learning about this, my first thought was, this is so unfair. Moses, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years out in the wilderness, being a shepherd. He's in the latter part of the last 40 years of his life. How much did Moses do for God's people? Miracles, signs and wonders. There's never been a prophet like Moses. Just read at the end of Deuteronomy or the beginning of Joshua. There's never been a man like him. He was incredible. The Lord did so many things through him. And you know what he failed in? It seems like he failed in one thing and then didn't get to enter the promised land. What would your praise and worship be the night after that? 
Would you be jumping up and down, screaming of God's goodness? That He's right and just in everything that He does after you feel like you just got the ultimate discipline and punish from Him? It's just one mistake, right? He just struck a rock. I mean, I mean, really, this is all that it was, was He made one singular mistake and He's out? He wasn't out of the kingdom, but he's, he's out of getting to enter into what He thought He was supposed to do, the reason He was put on the earth to deliver His people and get them to the promised land? That is so not fair. Or is it? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32. Let's look at verse 1. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. This is called the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses, this entire chapter. Listen to what the man who was kept out of the promised land because of his unholy act by striking a rock when he was supposed to speak to it. He didn't say, hey God, my sister just died. The people were quarreling against me. They were wanting to go die like the rebellious, ungodly people that they had seen die before. God, we were in serious trouble. We needed water. And so you don't understand this, my situation, Lord. There was a reason that I acted that way. I was mad. And it was okay. Like you, you, I, You're just too hard on me, Lord. That's not what he says here. Look at verse 3. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. Sound familiar? He is the rock. His works are perfect. All His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. Does that make you like that verse just a little bit better? Because it should. Well, He could say that because everything worked out perfectly. No, He is standing on the precipice of the promised land. He's looking at it now. He's able to see it and go, Oh, that's where I should be leading the people. And He's standing there going, God is the rock. His works are perfect. All His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is He. He goes on and on and recounts this. Let's look at verse 10. In a desert land He found Him. And, uh, he's personifying the nation of Israel. In a desert land He found Him. In a barren and howling waste, He shielded Him and cared for Him. He guarded Him as the apple of His eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young. How does an eagle stir up the nest? They make it uncomfortable for the baby so they will get out and go fly. God is perfect. He is righteous and just. He is perfect in everything that He does. If you're uncomfortable, maybe it's because He's trying to get you to fly. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on pinions. If you feel like you're fluttering and falling, on eagle's wings he can come and raise you up. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. Look at verse 46. 
It says this. He said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day. At the conclusion of his song, he's, of his song, he's saying, Hey, listen to me, guys. So that you may command your children to obey all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Are the words of the Lord your life? Are they your actual life? Can you go days without really getting in the word of the Lord? Giving him a token of your, of your time and it be okay with you? We're trying to get us all, every one of us in this room, to shift to where his words are our life. I literally cannot exist without his words. That's where we're all trying to move. Unless you think that the Lord or that Moses had forgotten about this whole thing in Numbers 20, take a look at verse 50. There on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die and be gathered to your people, just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I am giving to the people of Israel. Pretty big deal. And then you know what he turns and does? He blesses all the tribes. How, how do you handle discipline from the Lord? Do you get so broken that, you, that it's, it's disrupting your mirage of success? That you crumble? That, that you, you, you have difficulty keep going on? Well, I, I don't want to say that I don't really trust the Lord, but I don't really trust the Lord in this moment. Or are we going to run to the Lord and fall flat on our face and say, Lord, we need your presence because you're right in everything you do? Guys, if we can shift from the mirage of success, you know why we support the missionaries the way that we do? We don't ask them for numbers reported. We don't ask them for how many people they witnessed to this week or this month or this year. Because we're just trusting that if they do what's right, that God will cause the fruit that he desires. And that is success. It's harder to quantify success the way that I'm talking about. You can't just give me numbers and tell me, how many, how many chapters did you read today? Come on, Hannah, how many chapters did you read? Because that determines whether you're a real woman of God or not. What if you read three verses and it just sent you into a time of worship for the Lord and you got the fresh manna from heaven on verse number three? You're going to keep reading? What, is that not enough for you? What if it takes an entire book that you're reading and you're just like, Lord, I'm just going to keep reading here. What, what happens if he doesn't speak to you? There's no earth-shattering revelation. What are you going to do? I'm going to do exactly what he tells me to do. The results are on him. The results are on him. Don't let there be a mirage to your success tonight. Pastor Matt, if you'll come on up. Would you stand to your feet with me?